Now that he has this wonderful constellation of gifts, this, um, this gift for um, administrative diligence and creativity that's coupled with a real passion for, and you'll hear in his sermon, for, for making disciples. Um, this is quite a task that he has. I just want you to think about this for a moment. He is called to be the shepherd of this kind of weird flock called the United Methodists of West North Carolina, over 1,100 churches. Think about that. That He's called to be the pastor and the leader, and now he's come to be with us today. Bishop Leland, it's a privilege to have you here. Welcome to Central. Scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're in chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, that mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is a Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rob, and thank you, Central United Methodist Church, for this invitation to celebrate your 180th birthday, or at least the culmination of a series of gatherings to celebrate 180 years. And I'm mindful of the words of the Apostle Paul when he wrote his letter of joy to the church at Philippi, and he said, I'm thankful for our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 180 years from the first day until now, and we stand on the shoulders of parents, friends, grandparents, great-grandparents that have moved before us to provide a place of service, worship, and service from this place in the heart of Asheville to make known the heart of Christ. And when you contrast the list of the names of people that are in your bulletin that have been members of this congregation for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years with the young children that just were invited to go and began to have worship together as a part of their Sunday morning, you feel the healthy tension 
that exists between those of us who are preparing a place for the generation that is coming behind us. When I was serving a congregation and I would have the young children gather before us, I was going to preach on the sovereignty of God. And I knew that these young children, like you saw leaving this morning, would not understand a word like sovereignty. And so for them to have an insight into what we would be focused on as a congregation in worship, I said to the children, do you know what it means to be in charge? And this little boy nicknamed Jay Bubba, you have to remember we are in North Carolina. His nickname was Jay Bubba. He said, yes, he said, in my house, my daddy's in charge. And that was kind of the reaction of my congregation. And then with perfect timing, he said, but my mama's the boss. Well, <laughs> I said, I don't know what, I don't know what Jay Bubba's doing today, but he's probably planning to run for the governor of North Carolina because he knows what it's like to have one foot in his daddy's world and one foot in his mama's world. And that's where we are celebrating 180 years. We have one foot in a world in which we gather in this beautiful space of adoration, praise, thanksgiving, glory, hymns, music, the great hymnody of the church to give thanks to the God, the one who is made visible, the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn of the dead, the one through whom all things were created the one through whom all things are held together, and the one who is reconciling all things in heaven and on earth. And we have one foot in the world in which we leave this place and we see people sleeping on the sidewalks, and people without homes, people without community, people without support. One foot in a world of this place of holiness and glory and thanksgiving and one foot in a world which is very different from the world that we would choose for our children to grow up in or even to be exposed to. And on this weekend in particular, when we give thanks for the men and the women who stand on the wall, so to speak, to protect our families from unimaginable horrors if we did not have that force of strength to protect us, we are reminded there are men and women who pray tonight and every night begging God, begging God that their sons and their daughters will come home safely. We live in a world of glory and adoration trying to reconcile all things in heaven and earth, and we live in a world that is tainted, broken by sin. Now, if I had the children still gathered here in the front of me, and I know this is a simplistic example, so forgive me for saying this, but if I could take a piece of thread and tie it around that thick sidewalk chalk, have you seen that? It comes in different pastel colors and lower it into a jar of ink. You know and I know the longer that the chalk is left in the ink, the ink saturates itself through the chalk. So if we pulled it up and popped it open, the ink would have gone right through the chalk to the very core of the chalk. This is exactly what the church has talked to us about, the reconciliation of the heavenly and the earthly in which we are made into the image of Christ when we are bathed, when we are saturated, when we are immersed 
in the means of God's grace, the channels of God's grace, we are then shaped into the image of Christ. Just like the scripture said, here is the mystery that has been hidden for generations but now is made known to the believers, Christ in you. We are shaped into the image of Christ. Now I know that God can change me in any way that God wishes, as quickly as God wishes, but the church historically has observed that when we are immersed and bathed and saturated in the channels of God's grace, which you will remember, our prayer, worship, scripture, sacraments, small covenant groups where we watch over one another, and fasting, when we saturate ourselves into those channels of God's grace, then an interesting thing happens in my life. I'm shaped into the image of Christ and a rhythm gets created for personal holiness and outward compassion, for inward holiness and social kindness. And as that rhythm gets created into my life, so it gets created in the life of a congregation that practices the channels of God's grace, prayer, worship, scripture, sacraments, small covenant groups, and fasting, where we take on that same rhythm of inward holiness and outward compassion, and we are shaped into the body of Christ. When Dick Wills was a pastor in Florida conference, and the bishop assigned him to Christ United Methodist Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It was a large, historic, strong, healthy congregation, but for decades had been slowly declining, meaning that if you counted all the people in worship today and compared it to a year ago, it was the same number just about, only a few less today than last year. If you looked at all the people in Christian education and Sunday school and counted the number today and compared it to a year ago, it was about the same number, only a few less this year than last year. And after about 10 years, that congregation realized they were in trouble. That's the point at which the bishop assigned Dick Wills to be the pastor of that congregation. And within a few years of reintroducing his congregation to the means of grace, prayer, worship, scripture, sacrament, covenant groups, small groups where they watched over one another and prayed over one another, the church began to grow. And when somebody asked Dick Wills, when did your church make the turn? Dick Wills said, our church made the turn when we stopped praying. Lord, bless our worship service, bless our Sunday school, bless our disciple Bible study, bless our Stephen ministry, bless us, bless us, bless us. And we began to pray, Lord, help us to bless those whom you are blessing. Do you hear the difference? And here's how it looks in the life of an individual. I was the pastor of a congregation in Raleigh. And when the, and when the economy gets hard, and people don't have the consistency to earn a living, they find their way into the church. And when this man came into the church, he scared me. He really scared me. I could tell immediately he'd been living in his car on the streets, but he scared me. And the first thought that went through my mind is, I'm in this building by myself. And when he said he needed money, I gave him everything I had and everything I could find. I even took him down to the kitchen to give him the popsicles out of the freezer. If we had it, I gave it to him. 
And over the course of three to four years, I discovered that his name was Frank. Asheville has its own Franks. His name was Frank. He was from Virginia. He wasn't speaking to his father anymore. His father didn't speak to him. And every time he needed help, he just kept coming back to the church. One Sunday, a family from, a, from my very first church out of seminary in Elon came to Raleigh to be in worship with us. And they wanted to take my wife Janet and I to lunch. And they left to save me a seat. And when everybody left the church and I'm locking the door, I see Frank get up out of his old beat up rusty car and I began to pray, Lord, please, not today. I do not want to talk to Frank today. I cannot talk to Frank today. And as Frank approached me, he said, Paul, I need to speak to you. And I said, Frank, I don't have time to talk to you today. I've got friends from out of town and they're waiting to see me. Tomorrow on Monday's a national holiday and the office will be closed. You come back on Tuesday and I'll help you like I always do. And I got in my car and I left. When I got home and I pulled into the driveway, one of my daughters had been watching for me out of the window and when she saw me pull in the driveway, she came out of the house, Daddy, I'm so glad you're home. I was scared to death. This man came to the house today and when he knocked on the door, I didn't know whether to open the door and speak to him since we were here by ourselves. And I said, I know his name is Frank. I told him to come back on Tuesday and I'll help him like we always do. And the next morning, on Monday morning, there's a knocking on the front door of the parsonage and the knocking does not stop, and I come right through the house, and when I get to the front door and open the door, there's Frank. And he says, Paul, I need to speak to you. And when he comes in, he sits down in the parsonage, and he said, I had to see you today because I have to tell you I have a job in Emporia, Virginia. <laughs> and I have to be there first thing in the morning. My dad's trying to call me, doesn't know what to say to me, and I'm calling my dad, I don't know what to say to him, but we're calling each other. But the reason I came to see you before I left is I wanted to tell you, and I'm gonna tell you, just like he said to me, I have met Jesus and he has saved my soul. Now I know we don't use that kind of language in the church today in the same way we did in the 1940s, the 1950s, 180 years ago to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying, to snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. But um, that was the language of the church, to seek that which is out of place, that which is lost, but still has meaning and value, which is why we seek it, why we look for it, the Franks of the world. And then he said, and the Holy Spirit has directed me to give my tithe to our church. Did, did you hear that? Our church? And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out bills that he rolls. I don't know if you've ever seen people roll their bills. And he counts out his tithe, $1,468 and some odd cents. His tithe to the church. When I got in my pulpit on Sunday morning, I confessed to my congregation that Frank had shamed me. I had prejudged Frank's life, thought I had a front row seat on what his life was going to look like for the rest of his days on this earth. Just drive out of here and drive two blocks and you'll think the same thing. And yet the old had passed away and the, 
and the new was born right before my very eyes. And then I told my congregation that Frank not only had shamed me, he has shamed our entire church because we come here week after week after week giving our little bit to support missions and we have forgotten we are the mission to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying, to snatch them in pity from sin in the grave, to weep o'er the erring ones, to lift up the fallen, to tell them of... Do y'all know that hymn? I know we're 180 years of age, but there ought to be somebody here who knows that hymn. To tell them of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn of the dead, the one who is the visible image of the invisible God, the one whom through whom we proclaim, the one who is reconciling all things in heaven and earth. And if you listen to Lisa read the scripture lesson this morning, she uses this, this wonderful phrase where Paul says, and this is why I became a minister by the divine office given to me in order to admonish everyone, to teach everyone, to present everyone. And the word everyone means everyone. Mature unto Christ. And then Paul has this interesting phrase in the scripture lesson. Go back and read it later. He says, and this is why I toil. Your translation may say labor. This is why I labor. It may say work. This is why I work. But this is why we labor, work, and toil. And the word minister can also be translated servant. And this is why I became a servant of the church, to admonish everyone, to teach everyone, to present everyone mature unto Christ. There is a, there is a poem that is in my files that's anonymous, and I'll end with this thought, with 180 years of toil, laboring, and working to admonish and to reconcile all things in heaven and earth. And the poem simply says, as the covered wagon rolled and pitched along the prairie track, 